Good morning, everyone. That song, though, can you, ah, can hardly stand it. I love that song. That song is the perfect song to take us into today, into this message. So we have been going through the series Good Grace, where we're talking about Psalm 23. And uh, there's a popular quote that, that, is, that is in our culture. It's kind of immersed in our culture. And um, it's a quote that people say to people when they're, when they're down, when they're struggling, when they're, when they're just not doing well. And uh, it's a popular quote. I know you're going you're gonna to know it. By the time I get to maybe the second or the third word, you're probably going to be able to say it with me. So it goes something like this. God doesn't give you more than you can handle, right? It sounds good, doesn't it? I'm going through a rough spot. It's okay because I know that God's not going to give me any more than I can handle. Yeah, I, I can latch on to that. And people say it. They say it all the time. Christians say it. Believers say it. And a lot of people even think that it's in the Bible. But guess what? God never said that. He never said that he, would give us, he wouldn't give us more than we could handle. It's not in the Bible. But what he did say was that he will provide us a way out of our testings and temptations. And that's a much different word for a different story. It's a more powerful word. It's a word that you can latch on to. It's a word that, that you can claim as a promise from God. And there are two truths about God that that scripture, that he will provide us a way out of our testings and our temptation. There's two truths that that tells me about God. One, it tells me that God sees me. He sees that I'm, I'm gone through something. He sees that I'm in need. He sees that I'm in a valley. And the other thing he t that it tells me is that he's with me. I'm not alone. Because if he's going to provide me a way out of my testings and temptation, he needs to know that I'm, I'm going through it, right? So he sees me in it, and he provides a way out for me. And so today we're going to look at the God in our valleys, the God in our, our troubles, the God in our despairs. And we've been reading through Psalm 23. Today we're going to read through verse 4. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the right path for him's namesake. Verse 4. Even when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I could summarize that passage of Scripture. I could summarize today's message with just one sentence. And that sentence would be, God is not just the God of our mountaintops. He's the God of our valleys. God is not just the God of our mountaintops. He is also the God of the darkness, the defeat, the valley of discouragement. Because the truth of the matter is, most of your life will not be spent on the mountaintop. The mountaintops, they have amazing views. The mountaintop, you can see things that you've never seen before. Yesterday, a group of us um, that are in sisterhood leadership, we went out to Verado, um, and we did a, a little creative... Um, thing for, for uh, sisterhood. So you're going to have to be at sisterhood to see what we did, and you're going to want to be there. So anyway, we were on our, headed on our way back, and it, the sun was setting behind us. And as we were coming down the road, I was in the car with Julia, and we're coming down the road, and we're up in elevation a little bit. We're not even on the mountaintop, but just enough that we can see Phoenix out in the horizon. And it was gorgeous. It was like the way that the, the sun was going through the clouds as it was setting. It was like there was this pink hue all over the, the city of Phoenix and was bouncing off the windows and the glass and the buildings down there. And all the way over at Jackrabbit and, and Indian School, we could see that. It was gorgeous. So the views and the mountaintops, they're, they're beautiful, but they're far and few between because most of our life is spent in the valley. So we're going to look today at three things. We're going to look at what we know about valleys. 
We're going to look about, uh, at different kinds of valleys in our life. And then finally, we're going to look at what we need to remember about God and about ourselves when we're in the valleys. And I don't know about the valley that you might be going through right now. Maybe you're going through a financial valley. You may have just lost your job or you might be in between jobs or, you know, you're struggling to, you've got medical bills and you're struggling to make ends meet or, or perhaps you're going through a relational value. Maybe you've just gone through a breakup. Maybe you're looking for a wife, you know, and, and you're struggling right now and maybe you and your, your spouse are not connecting. You're just kind of going through a relational valley or possibly you're going through a physical valley. You, you know, you're struggling with a health issue or maybe a mental health issue and, and you would say, yeah, I'm, I'm in a physical valley. Whatever value that you're in, in today, it really doesn't matter because you're going to need this message. And I, I really believe that this message is going to speak to you. So let's look today, uh, let's look right now about what we know about different, what we know about valleys. Well, first thing that we know about valleys is valleys are a part of our life. They're inevitable. You can't avoid them. Valleys are going to come and they're going to go. They're part of our normal life. Chances are right now you are either going into a valley you're in the midst of a valley, or maybe you're possibly heading out of a valley. And the, ch the question isn't if the valley is going to come. The question is when. Because valleys are really a part of our life. They're a part of the normal ebb and flow of our life. Your disappointments and your defeats and your distractions, they're not, they don't, they don't uh, fall deaf on God's ears. God knows about those because that's part of his plan. His plan includes hills and valleys for our life. In Deuteronomy 11.11, the Israelites we're heading into the promised land. And God said to them, the promised land that you're about to enter is a land of hills and valleys. And that is a physical thing, but it's also a metaphorical thing. So what does this mean? Well, that could possibly mean that, you know, you, even if you're in the center of God's will, you feel like you know, you're exactly where, where God wants you to be and you're moving in the direction that God wants you to be in. That doesn't mean that you're immune from valleys because that's a normal part of God's plan. And 1 Peter 4.12 says it this way, don't be surprised when you're tested by troubles or painful suffering as if some unusual things are happening to you. Valleys are a part of our lives. The second thing we know about valleys is that they happen to everyone. Can't avoid them. They're inevitable and they're also impartial. You know, good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. Psalm 34, 19 says it this way. The good man does not escape all trouble. He has them too, but the Lord helps him, each and every one. And some people, maybe when they're in a valley or they're going through a tough time, they're like, oh, I must have done something wrong, or, or God's mad at me. He's punishing me. I'm in this valley. I'm in this dark place. And I've got to tell you, that's not my God. That's not the God that I read about in the Bible. The God that I read about in the Bible is a good God. His, his, the essence of who he is is love, and he is crazy about you. The song that we sang, Good Grace, talks about that, about how much he's in love with us. That's our God. He's not cruel. He's not punishing. He, you know, because you're in a valley, that doesn't mean that you're a bad human. That means you're just part of the human race. You're part of a, a world that's fallen and that's broken and that has problems. And nobody's immune to those, to those valleys. And, you know, also being a follower, that doesn't make you exempt from valleys either. Matthew 5.45 says it this way, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Everybody goes through the exact things in life, exact same things. Valleys happen to everyone. So valleys are inevitable, valleys are impartial, and valleys are unpredictable. And that can be a problem. That can be a problem because we can't predict them. We don't know when they're going to happen. We can't time them. Wouldn't it be great if we could schedule our valleys? Wouldn't it be awesome if we could say, you know what, God, 
the third week of May. That's kind of a pretty easy month for me. I don't have anything on my calendar, so you want to like plop a little valley in there. I can handle that. I think we can deal with that one, but it doesn't happen that way. We have no idea what's going to happen in our life. You know, valleys are unpredictable. The only thing that we can predict about valleys is we know they're going to happen. We just don't know when. And so how often is it that a good day can quickly become a bad day? You're cruising along, everything's going great. You answer the phone, <laughs> it's a bad day, right? You know, disasters, they, they come quickly. That bad news comes quickly. Proverbs 27.1 says it this way, don't ever brag about tomorrow since you don't know what the day will bring forth. And finally, valleys are precursors to the mountaintop. I gave you this verse earlier, but I think it applies here as well. When the Israelites, again, were going into the promised land, God said, the promised land you're about to enter is filled with the land of hills and valleys. So they are precursors. The valleys are precursors to the mountaintops. We, we talk often about mountaintops being times in our lives that we should mark the things that God has done for us, that we should mark that, you know, we're on, we're on top, right? And we love to mark it, the, the mountaintops, because things are going great, because, you know, we're cruising along, we can see things well, they're a good time in our life. But I really think that we miss great opportunities if we don't mark the valleys. Because when we're on the mountaintop, we don't forget God. You know, the mountaintops develop hearts of thankfulness and gratefulness in us. But what ends up happening is we forget that we need God when we're on the mountain. Because really, at that moment, we might not. But when we're in the valleys, we need him, right? Things are bad. Things are hard. Our hearts are hurt. Our, we're crushed. And, and those valleys, the, the valley time is a time sometimes of our most intimate um, encounters with God. Those are the times where God does three things in our life in the valleys. He heals us, he prepares us, and he transforms us. Those valleys are important. So yes, we should mark those mountaintops, but we should also mark those valleys because those are our times of our greatest need and our greatest healing and learning. So problems are inevitable. Valleys are impartial. Valleys are unpredictable. We've learned that. So this has been fun so far, huh? Um, we, I want to talk now with you about um, some significant valleys. So the Bible has lots and lots and lots of valleys. Talk, that, that metaphor is, is prevalent in the Bible. But I wanted to talk with you about three specific or significant valleys that you and I are most likely going to experience in our lifetime. The first one is the Valley of Siddim. The Valley of Siddim happens in Genesis chapter 14, and it's a war story. So if you like war stories, if you're a war buff, if you like watching the History Channel, um, this is a, a chapter that you would really enjoy, and I uh, suggest you go back and read it. But I'm just going to give you a little paraphrase of what happened. So in the Valley of, of Siddim, there were these nine tribes, these nine kingdoms, or nine armies, rather. And it took place in Palestine, obviously years before um, Israel became a nation. And so we had five uh, tribes or five nations inside the valley, uh, inside the, the city of Palestine. And then they had four um, armies that were outside. The armies that were outside were trying to overtake the armies that were inside. They wanted to overtake Palestine. And so um, after about 12, 13, 14 years, they went to war. And they went to war in this area called the Valley of Siddim. The Valley of Siddim is now called Death Valley. And it consists of a, a land that's just filled with sticky, gross, black tar pits. That's what the land is like. And that's where this, this uh, battle took place. And so they're in the midst of the battle. The, the five armies on the inside are fighting for their life, and they're fighting for their freedom. And the four larger 
more powerful armies on the outside were fighting to overtake them. Two of the kings from the inside, from the five, at some point in the battle, they got scared, and they, like, ran from the hill. It reminds me of, like, a Mighty Python movie where they're like, run away. So they, they ran, and they were trying to get away, and they got scared. And what happened when they started running was they tripped, and they fell, and they got stuck in the sticky tar pits. And isn't that just like us? You know, we can get to that place where, where we're fearful of something, and that's what the, or, or we have a failure in our life, and that's what the valley of Siddim is. It's a valley of failure. And we run, and we slip, we fall, and we get stuck. We all go through that. So what is your Siddim today? What is that thing you know you need to face it? Maybe it's a conflict or a, or a conversation that you have to have and you just don't want to have it or a confrontation. And if you're like me, I avoid confrontation at all costs. And so I'll run every chance I can and, and then I'll slip and fall and get stuck. And, you know, so I have to be brave and I have to face that thing. But what is your dark, slimy pit, that secret thing that keeps bringing you down? For some of you, for some people, it, it could be a bar or a nightclub. Or for others, it could be the Internet. And then for some people, it, maybe it's a hotel when you're traveling alone. What is that dark place, that place where you just keep getting stuck, that addiction that you just see, can't seem to break out of, that relationship that you just can't seem to break free from and you know it's not healthy for you, and you run and you slip and you fall and you get stuck again. Siddim is that place in your life that you want to forget because it's a place of your greatest failure. And that failure might actually even be a public failure, which magnifies it and makes it worse. Like those two kings that fell. They slipped and they fell, not only in front of the other kings, but they fell in front of, of their men that served under them. And that was embarrassing to them. Sometimes that place can be an embarrassment. But the truth is, it doesn't matter what your, your valley of failure is. It doesn't matter what your sitim is or how you got there. The truth is that Jesus can get you out. You don't have to be stuck in that place. Jesus can take you out of that valley. The next valley I want to talk about is the Valley of Eshkel. This valley well, was talked about in Numbers 13. And this is um, after Moses, God had called Moses to take the Israelites out of their 400 years of captivity in Egypt. And then they traveled, and, or didn't really travel, they wandered um, in the desert for 40 years. And interestingly enough, that, tr that trip from from Egypt to the Promised Land really only should have taken a couple of months for the Israelites, but they were there for 40 years, which kind of begs the question, what the heck were they doing in the desert for 40 years? Why would they choose to wander aimlessly in the desert for 40 years? And they didn't choose. They had a test. God was testing them and to, to put them on a path to get them to the Promised Land, but they kept failing the test. And so they ended up just, you know, wandering around aimlessly for 40 years. So finally, they're on the edge. They're right there at the promised land. And, and Moses wants to know what the promised man land looks like. So he sends in 12 leaders from his tribe to go and scout out the land. And they come back, and they come back with this mixed message to Moses. There's 12 of them. Two of them are Caleb and Joshua. They come back and they say, oh, it's a great land. It's filled with rich opportunities and huge grapes, so big that it took two of us to carry one cluster of grapes in. If you were here, oh, I don't know, six, eight, nine months ago, Danny talked about the grapes. And uh, so they carried these big clusters of grapes in. And then they, the big butt happened. 
You know how somebody is saying, yeah, I, like, I, I love you, but, you know, it was like that. You know, great, great opportunity, great land, but they said this. The people living there, they're powerful and strong. And in our own eyes, we felt as small as grasshoppers next to them. What in the world happened? They had an identity crisis. These Israelites, God took them from 400 years of slavery to the desert that they should have only been in for about a month or so, to the promised land. They're there. It's theirs for the taking. It's theirs. It's their prom it was called the promised land because God promised it to them. And they were scared to death. They had an identity crisis. They forgot who they were, and they forgot whose they were. They forgot that they were God's chosen people. And so they're standing there, and they're like, uh-uh, I'm not going in there. Let's just go back to Egypt. We can go back there. It wasn't great, but, we, you know, we're familiar with it. But there were two guys, Caleb and Joshua, and they didn't have that identity crisis, and they dealt with that situation much differently. So the Valley of Eshkel is the valley of your fear. It's the place where you either move forward or you retreat and give up. It's the place where you're, you are afraid to move into. You're afraid to move forward. And so here's my question to you. What is your Valley of Eshkel? What is the place that you are afraid to move forward in? We all have it. And you know, you know what that area is. It's that thing that you know that you've been, you've been praying about and you've been thinking and you've been dreaming on and it's a goal and you want to do it. In your mind, you can see yourself there. God's even confirmed, yes, I have that thing for you. But you're too afraid to move forward, to take that risk. The Valley of Eshkel is a place where you either face your fears and take a risk or you retreat and defeat. So how do you know if you're in this kind of an Eshkel Valley right now? It's easy. That big thing, when I was talking about it, that you're thinking about in your mind, that big goal, that big thing in the foreground of your life, do you look at that as an opportunity or do you look at it as an obstacle? The 10 of the 12, those guys, they looked at the promised land as an obstacle because they remember they were grasshoppers. The, the, the people that were in there in the promised land, they were too big, they were too powerful, they were too fortified. But Caleb and Joshua, they looked at it as an opportunity. Not only did they look at it as an opportunity, they knew it was theirs for the taking. They were like, yes, let's go in, let's do this. What are you guys, you're crazy. God promised this to us. He's with us. We can't lose. Let's do it. The other guys were like, mm -mm, we're not doing it. And it's so sad that they had that identity crisis because they never entered in. God told them, you don't trust me, so I'm not letting you in. You'll not go in. And they ended up dying in the wilderness. But not Caleb and Joshua. They went in. The third valley is the Valley of Baca. And that valley is mentioned in Psalm 84 and 85. Baca means weeping. And the Valley of Baca is a dry, desert, arid wasteland. When the pilgrims came into Jerusalem to the temple, they had to pass through the Valley of Baca, and it talks about that in Psalm 85. And Baca is a metaphor for when we're going through a dry period in our life, when all the joy has seemed to have been sucked out of our life and we're just dried up and maybe we're grieving. Nothing grows there. Nothing is productive. There's no fruit. There's only tears in our life. In Psalm 84, it talks about it like this. It says, Blessed are those whose strength comes from the Lord as they pass through the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping. They're weeping as they're going through. They make it a place of springs, which I think is interesting. So they enter in, it's dry, and they're weeping, and now they make it 
a place of springs. Water is showing up as they're passing through weeping. They make it a place of springs, and the autumn rains cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength, growing until each appears before God in Zion. Notice first when they went in there, it was dry. It was dry as they passed through. They didn't feel close to God. You know, maybe you're in that area right now where you're going into that valley and you're just, you're just dried up. You know, you don't have, your feelings are just void. You don't feel close to your husband. You don't feel close to God. You know, you're just putting in the time. There's no joy in my life. There's no energy in my life. I'm like Eeyore walking through the forest. It's just, I'm just like, eh, right? But the kind of people that God wants us to be is the kind of people he talks about here. They make it a place of springs. They're the people that when they show up, they make water happen in a dry desert wasteland. That's what God wants us to do in that valley. That's how he wants us to approach that valley. And not only that, they grow from strength to strength in that valley, which means that they mature to the next level and the next level and the next level until they meet God. And you and I, we're going to meet God one day, right? We're going to meet him, and we're going to stand before him, and he's going to say, I don't care about your clothes. I don't care about your cash. I don't care about your career. What I care about is your character, who you are on the inside. I care about what you did in that valley of Baca. Did you grow from strength to strength? Did you mature to the next level? Did you work it out? What did you learn when you were in that valley? I put you there for a reason. What did you do with it? That's what God wants us to do. So what's going on here? How, do, how does somebody have that kind of approach? And how does somebody go through the Valley of Baco with that kind of a heart? What is the catalyst? I believe it's faith. I believe it's faith in God. I believe it's faith that turns a dry area into a, des into a place of springs where we can find refreshment and be nourished. I believe it's faith that when we're in that valley, we can find what it is that God wants for us. And I believe it's faith that in that valley of grief, where God wants to use our tears to water a dry desert wasteland. The valley of Baca is a valley of grief and barrenness. And regardless of any of those three valleys that I mentioned that you're in, I want you to remember this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. So we know a little bit more about valleys. We've talked a little bit about three different valleys. And now I want to talk to you about what we need to remember when we're in the valley because we're all going to be in them at some point or another. First thing I want you to remember is that I'm not alone, that God is with me. He's with you. When he talks about the valley of the shadow of death, he's with him in that valley. And that's one valley that's going to touch all of us. That's one valley that's going to brush by every single person on the planet. Personally, intimately, people that you know from a distance. In my own personal life, in my immediate family, I've lost my mom, my dad, my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and I've lost my sister. And countless friends and relatives and it's just, it's that, that is part of life, and that's something that we're all going to experience. But look what it says, what David says. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. I want you in your notes to circle a few words for me in that passage. I want you to circle through, you, and shadow. I want you to circle those three words, through, you, and shadow. When I look at the word through, what does that tell me about the valley? It tells me that it's temporary. It tells me that I'm not staying there. God's not keeping me there. I'm passing through. I'm not there forever. 
And when I look at the word you, that tells me that I'm not alone. That tells me that God is with me because he is with me in that valley. I know that if he sees me to that valley, if he sees me to it, he's going to see me through it. Then I'm not staying there. There's a, a lady who has a ministry that, that I've followed for years, and she's also an author, and she's written about eight books. Her ministry is called Proverbs 31. Her name is Lisa Turkhurst, and she wrote a book recently called It's Not Supposed to Be This Way. And this book, um, in this book, she shares a lot of some, some pretty devastating things that has, have passed through her life in the last few years. And she's all, she doesn't just stay there with it, though. She talks about what God has taught her and how God has brought her out of those deep, deep valleys in her life. And this one particular uh, valley that she shared in the book was um, an illness that really pretty much suddenly came upon her. And she found herself very quickly in a place where she was in the ICU for five days, really struggling with, a, with an ailment in her body. And the doctors did test after test, and they were not able to figure out what was going on. She was in incredible amounts of pain that no amount of medication was able to give her any relief. And in those five days when ICU, she cried out to God over and over again for God to heal her, for God to take away the pain. You know, she cried out to the doctors to please do something, and she, had, she was getting nothing, no results, no relief from the pain. And she was really in a crisis of faith in that moment where she was really doubting God. Do you hear me? Do you hear my cries out to you? And, and angry at him for, you know, how can a loving God not heal me in this moment? And she was really struggling. And, um, and after the fifth day, uh, the doctor's new doctor came in. They ran one more test. They found out what was going on with her. They rushed her into surgery. They were able to fix it. She was home um, several days later, weeks later, recovering. And I'm going to read you this excerpt. The surgeon called me. He got the report back that the mass was removed and there was no further treatment needed. However, there was an alarming part of the report he couldn't reconcile, even with his years of practicing medicine. He said, Lisa, I really don't like how people throw around the term miracle, but honestly, it's the only word I know to use in your case. The cells in your colon were already in a state of... Uh, I don't know how to say this word, autolysis. Um, this is where your brain has signaled your body to start self-digesting. It's decomposition. It's what happens when you die. Lisa, you cannot get closer to death than that. How you survived this, I can't explain. I hung up the phone stunned, and I suddenly thought of those days before the surgery when I was begging God to take away the pain, and I had questioned God because of the pain. I had wondered how God could let me be in so much pain, and I had cried because I thought God somehow didn't care about my pain. But in the end, it was the pain that God used to save my life. The pain was what kept me in the hospital. The pain was what kept me demanding that the doctors run more tests. The pain was what forced me to address what desperately needed to be attended to within my body. The pain was what made me allow a surgeon to cut my belly wide open. The pain, the valley, was what helped save me. Had God taken away the pain, I would have gone home, my colon would have ruptured, my body would have turned septic, and I would have died. Now I have a completely different picture of God standing beside my hospital bed while I was hurting and begging him to help me. He wasn't ignoring me. No, I believe it took every bit of holy restraint within him not to step in and remove my pain. He loved me too much to do the very thing I was begging him to do. He knew the things I didn't know. He saw a bigger picture I couldn't see. His mercy was too great. His love was too deep. Lisa was in a valley in that moment of her life. And God didn't do what she wanted him to do, but that didn't mean that she was alone. He was still there. He saw her even when she couldn't see him, even when she couldn't feel him. 
Go back to your notes, if you would, please. Uh, the words shadow. There's some shadow truths I want to talk to you about. Um, the first one is that, like I said, shadows are going to fall across your life. They fall across all of our lives. The next one is that uh, shadows are typically larger than the real thing. We have um, some close family friends, and they have a two-year-old daughter who has recently discovered her shadow, and she's not very happy about it. That shadow is fearful to her because the shadow is probably bigger than her. Shadows are typically bigger than the real thing. The next shadow truth is that they can't hurt you. Shadows are images without substance. They're not, they're not real in that, that they can actually hurt you. And then the last thing is that shadows cannot exist without a light. Shadows are evidence of a light in your life. And so the way you deal with that valley of death, that valley of despair, that valley of depression, is you remember where the shadow is. And then you also remember that where there is a shadow, there's light. And you turn your back on the shadow and you look to the light. And in your life, the shadow is, is trying to oversee or, or is trying to block your view of the light of God. And God wants you to turn and turn your back to that shadow for that valley in your life. And he wants you to focus on your father, not on your fears. Because Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who believes in me shall not walk in darkness. He who believes in me will not stumble in darkness. I am the light of the world. The shadow presence in our life shows that there is a light in our life. Isaiah 43 verse 2 says it this way, when you go through the deep waters in great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through the rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. The next thing I want you to remember about valleys is that God has a good purpose for my valley. Psalm 23 is a, is a theme of the goodness of God. God is a good God. He cannot do evil. It's impossible for him to do evil. The essence of who he is is love. And so if you're in that valley of conflict or grief or fear or failure, remember that God has a good purpose for my valley. Hosea 2.15 says it this way, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I love that verse. I'm in the midst of my valley. I am in the deep pit of my valley. And I know that God is going to provide a gateway, which means he's going to open up the doors and he's going to take me out of that valley and he's going to take me onto a place of hope, to that mountaintop. And some of you need that, that verse today. You needed to hear that. Remember, when you're in the valley, God does those three things. He heals us, he prepares us for the mountaintop, and he transforms us. I want you to remember that you're not alone when you're in the valley. Remember that God has a good purpose for you in the valley that you're in. And number three, remember that the reward will last forever. This isn't the end of your story when you're in the valley. You have a reward. You will receive a reward for being faithful to Christ when you're in the valley of failure, of fear, of grief, of brokenness, and all the other valleys. 2 Corinthians 4.17 says it this way, our present troubles are quite small in relation to eternity. Our present troubles are quite small, and they will not last very long, yet they are producing in us an eternal glory that will last forever and is greater than anything we can imagine. I really believe that we're not going to be in heaven for more than like 2.5 seconds and we're going to look around and we're going to say, what was I thinking? Why did I whine and complain? And just why did I give God such a hard time about being in this valley? Paul was right in 2 Corinthians. It's totally worth it. The valley was worth it. Look at this place. 
Psalm 107, verse 10 through 15, talks about that, talks about that place, that, that, that valley, and, and our, our response to that valley. He says, uh, David says, some were living in gloom and darkness like prisoners suffering in chains because they had rebelled against the commands of Almighty God, and they had rejected his instructions. They were worn out from hard work. Then... In their trouble, they finally called to the Lord, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of their gloom and darkness, and he, listen to this, broke their chains. He broke their chains into pieces. Now they must thank the Lord for his constant love and for the wonderful things that he did for them. You know, until we reach heaven, we're going to go through valleys in our life. We live in, like I said, that broken and fallen world. And because believers, you know, we have accidents, we have disappointments, financial problems, physical issues, mental issues, family issues. But I got to tell you, a follower going through a a valley is very different than somebody who doesn't know Christ. It's a different experience. And it's not because of the absence of the shadow. It's because of the presence of the shepherd. That's what makes it different, the presence of the shepherd. And some of you, I believe that you, I know that you are in the deepest uh, valley, the darkest valley that you've ever been in. But understand this. My shepherd, he gave me a promise of power that he would carry me. He gave me a, a promise of a purpose of a life that was created on purpose and for a purpose. And he also gave me a promise that he will break the chains, that this isn't forever. And regardless of the valley that you're in, remember, it's not going to last. It's temporary. He saw you to it. He'll see you through it. Remember, your valley is not your finale. This isn't the end. Because you have a shepherd. But the thing is about the shepherd you have to decide. You have to decide to make him your shepherd. You have to say, Lord, I surrender to you. He's not going to be your shepherd until you do that. You have to say, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. I recognize that I've been doing life my way for far too long. And I, I'm tired of clawing and, and fighting my way out of this valley. I need your help. I need you to restore my soul and to lift me up out of that valley. And when you do that, when you surrender to him, then the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need, and he does all these things for me. And maybe you're here today, and you've never done that. You've never surrendered your life to God. You know who God is, but you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus where you would say, I recognize who I am, I recognize that there is this, there is a, a gap between me and heaven because I'm a sinner. But I recognize that God, you sent your son Jesus to come to earth to pay for my sins because there's no amount of good do- deeds I could do on my own to pay for that penalty. And Jesus came and he died on the cross and he was buried. And on the third day, he rose again. And he came and he did that because he's crazy about you crazy about me and he did that because he wants to live forever and eternity with us he wants us with him God loves people more than anything pastor James says that a lot and so if you've never made that decision in your life I want I want to invite you to do that if everybody would just for me stand with me as we close out today and if you've never done that if you want to say Karen you know what I've never really truly given my life to Christ I've never I've never said those words I've never thought about Jesus in that way, 
I've never really understood that there's a gap. If you want to do that today, we're going to, we're going to pray in a minute. And everybody's going to have their head down. Everybody's going to have their eyes closed. And I'm going to, I, I want you to, to just do this for me. As a matter of fact, everybody go ahead and put your, bow your heads down. Close your eyes. If you want to make that, that decision today, I want you just to slip your hand up for me really quick. And I'm not doing that to call you out. I'm, I'm doing that because I want you to know I see you. And I want to be able to pray for you. So if you would do that, yes, yes, I see you, I see you. And maybe you are, you've been a follower of Christ. You can put your hand down. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ for a while, but you've grown distant. Maybe you, um, you've been living life your way. Maybe you've just not been doing the things that you know you're supposed to do as a Christian. And you're saying, you know what? I, I, I don't want to I don't want to claw my way out of these valleys anymore. I, I keep getting myself into trouble and I'm slipping and I'm falling. I'm tired of the pit. It's sticky. It stinks. I want to I want to be I want to live a life that honors you, God. You can do that. Go ahead and just raise your hand and, and just stick your hand up, and I, I will pray for you. I will pray for you in this moment. God, we just we love you, Lord. We love that you. Um, are a God of second chances. We love, Lord, that, that we can rest in the truth that our valley is not our finale, that if you see us to it, you'll see us through it, God. And for everyone who raised their hand today, Lord, whether they raised their hand for the first time for to, um, to begin a relationship with you or whether they're coming back to you, God, God, you saw them. And so, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you call us back. I thank you that we have freedom in our that you would just uh...